I'm so glad to see you all here tonight, and I'm glad because we have a group of men that are gathering on a Monday night because I take it as men to open God's Word, to sing together, to fellowship together on a Monday night means that we are men that want to pursue holiness. We're men that, that want to see Jesus, and tonight we're going to talk about more of a, a sensitive topic, a topic of uh, sexual purity. Pursuing holiness, a topic of um, pornography. That's the, the state of the world we live in, that, that pornography, that sexual images are on every commercial, they're in every YouTube video, they're on every social media app that you're on, that you can see it, that access is easier than ever. Just listen to a couple of these statistics. 68% of church-going men... And over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. 68% of church-going men and over 50% of pastors view porn on a regular basis. More than 70% of men from 18 to 34 visit a pornographic site in a typical month. So that means on average in this room we could have any 10 guys stand up and if it's average... About seven of the ten looking at pornography each month. Those are statistics, and sometimes statistics don't mean a lot for your personal life. But I was in fifth grade when I first found a Playboy magazine in my dad's stuff at my house. And if you're anything like me, first images that you see, you could almost picture what you saw when you were younger. I had a TV with cable in my room from the time about fifth grade until I moved out of the house. I always had access to a lock on my door and always had access to anything I wanted to watch on TV. I think about that today. It, it would have been safer for me to have a loaded gun, I think, in my room than to have that kind of access to sexual videos and, and images from high school all the way until I was married at 22, I was entrenched and enslaved to pornography. Numerous images and videos on most days. The majority of days. There's nothing that captured my heart when I was in high school and college. Probably more than an image or a video or something I could click on on my my computer at home. It was an absolute war every single day. Whether I was going to, I wake up every morning and maybe you're like this today. Maybe you've had these moments in your life today. Am I going to follow and pursue Jesus or am I going to pursue pictures? Am I going to look at videos? Am I going to look at porn? Follow Jesus or look at porn. That was kind of my divided road, where the place that, that the road forked every day for me. I would stay up watching videos all night long and then wake up in the morning and lead worship for chapel at a Christian college. That's what I was doing in college. 
There were many weeks, even months at times, that would be victory, where I had accountability, where I was fighting with brothers, where I hadn't seen things, and then there were many weeks of weakness. And if you're anything like me, I could fall into two ditches pretty easily. One ditch was guilt and shame, thinking, how could Jesus ever love somebody that would do what I just did? But then the other ditch was, I'm going to do hard. I'm going to try harder than I ever have. I'm going to do more than I've ever had. I'm going to have as much accountability as I've ever had. I'm going to have the longest streak that I've ever made it to never look at a picture, to never look at a video. So both ditches were not what Paul says in Ephesians 6, of being strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. So many lies that I was believing and so many lies that I bet you are believing in this struggle. Here's some of the lies that were going on in my heart. No one else struggles with this but me. No one else would understand what I'm going through if I told them. No one else could help me with this. Nobody else understands me, so nobody else could help me with this. Nobody else will be hurt by this sin. It's my own personal sin. That was a lie that's even affected my marriage when I hid this sin until we got married. And then another lie, no one else or nothing else is better than this sin. That's, that's all lies that we believe. It's all lies that you believe right now. And right now, in a room full of men, the, the, the enemy, Satan himself, is tempting you, saying, no one else, no one else would understand. No one else struggles like you. No one can help you. This is your struggle. This is your battle. Stay in the dark. Satan's been doing that since the garden. And even now, he's saying, why don't you just hide? Why don't you cover yourself with fig leaves? Just anything but go towards the light. But two graces that happened in my life, two graces that the Lord brought in my life that are nothing that I've done but completely the Lord. The first grace was my sin was exposed and came into the light. And not by my own doing and praise the Lord that it happened. So when I came home from my honeymoon, the first two weeks, the first two weeks I came home from my honeymoon, the Lord in his kindness made my hardwood floors bubble and get ruined by water so that we had to redo our hardwood floors in our new honeymoon house. And so guess what we had to do? First two weeks of marriage, go stay with the parents. Go stay with my parents. That's what everybody wants to do the first two years of marriage. So we go home. And one of the first nights that we're there, my dad says, hey, can you come downstairs for a minute, Lance? And I go downstairs, and my dad said, hey, we took the computer in to get looked at, and it was filled where it couldn't even function anymore with pornography. Do you, do you know anything about that? And I said, yes, 
because it's all of my doing. It's all from me. And God, in his kindness, exposed me. God, in his kindness, exposed me. Because I think about all the the years, all the months that could have gone on where I just kept that battle to myself, kept that sin to myself. But I had to go up to my wife of two weeks and say, hey, we need to go talk. And we wept together and um, went to the park and just sat and talked about my hidden sin that now I look at and say God and his grace brought to light. That was the first grace. But the second grace that that I know we're going to hear about even more tonight is the grace that God opened my eyes to see that Jesus is better. To capture my heart that Jesus is better. He's the greatest treasure in this world. And he's the most beautiful thing that your eyes can behold, the most beautiful thing that you can be captivated by. There is nothing better, and there will never be anything better and more beautiful than Jesus. And so it's been my prayer as we hear from God's word tonight, as Jody comes to to, uh, preach to us from God's word, that those two things would happen to all of us by God's grace that our sin would be drug into the light and that we would see that Jesus is better. So let me pray for us as Jody comes. Father, Lord, do the supernatural work that you can do. do Lord, do the, the, con, the convicting work, the exposing work by your grace to drag our hidden sin into the light, that we would love the light. And that we would see that Jesus is the most beautiful treasure, the most beautiful Savior in the world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, guys. Lance, hold on a second. Things are going to be a little different tonight. Obviously, we don't have a guest preacher. Let me pass these out. And we have a little bit of a sensitive topic. So uh, I'm going to preach a little bit, teach a little bit. We're actually going to afterwards have a little bit of time of small group discussion as well. So things will be a little bit different, but if you, as those are getting passed out, want to turn to Titus 2 in your Bible. Titus chapter 2, we're going to just look at verses 11 and 12. And while that stuff is getting passed out, I just want to draw your attention to a few resources that I've used to prepare for tonight. Um, A book by Heath Lambert called Finally Free, uh, a book on a lot of the stuff that I'm going to talk about tonight, how the grace of Jesus can help us set us free from this sin. Uh, A book by Tim Chester is really good. I I think some of you guys have read this, called Closing the Window, uh, Steps to Living Porn-Free. Both of these books are really good. Uh, And then Ray Ortland's The Death of Porn. Uh, This is like if you have a super godly grandfather who just wants to help you with this issue, like this is the book to read, right? Um, These books, if you want them, come grab them uh, after we uh, meet together. And then I've also got 10 copies of this. It's called Fighting for Purity. It's a 31-day devotional uh, like the readings are like two pages a, a day, uh, but it can help you work through this issue if you feel like you need a copy of that. So there, uh, all of that is up here. So, so let me read Titus 2, uh, 11 and 12. It says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. 
So much like Lance, I remember the first time that I looked at porn, I was probably around 6th or 7th grade. I uh, was at a friend's house, and he went, took me into his dad's bedroom uh, where there was magazines of naked women, and he showed them to me. And what began as somewhat of a curiosity in middle school moved on into full regular habit in high school and college and sadly even into some of my days in seminary. Uh, and so I became a Christian when I was 17, uh, and so I was already kind of entrenched into this struggle. Uh, and so I, I, there was times in my life since becoming a Christian that I haven't struggled as much, uh, but I spent the better part of a decade struggling with porn use. I'm sure that my story is similar to you. Maybe it's not. Praise God if you've never really struggled with this issue. Praise the Lord for that. Um, but I'm sure at some point we've all been exposed and had some degree or another of struggle with this issue. Maybe some of us here tonight are struggling with it and this as we speak. And, and so what we desire is to be free of this, don't we? Isn't that what we want as followers of Jesus, as brothers together? We want to be free. We want freedom. We want freedom from, like Lance said, hiding this sin from others. We want freedom from clearing your browser history over and over on your computer. We want freedom from the shame and the guilt that we feel. We want freedom from the emptiness and the death that we just feel inside because of this issue. And honestly, we just want freedom from the pain of betraying Jesus over and over again. That's what we want, and I've got good news for us tonight that we can be set free from this. But the temptation that we have to realize is that we are tempted to look in all the wrong places to be set free. You know, we could look at the porn industry itself and look at how it ruins lives, statistics on how it ruins communities. We could look at more stats like we heard earlier about porn use. We could look at the devastation that this sin can have in our own lives, in our marriages, in our relationships, in our own spiritual life. We can look at the science behind how it rewires our brains and is actually just as addictive, if not more, than heroin or cocaine. We can look at all of the ways that sexual sin is rightly condemned in the scriptures. And friends, all of those things are certainly true, but I don't believe any of those things are going to bring us freedom. You see, the only place to find true freedom from the sin and every sin, for that matter, is the grace of Jesus. It's the grace of Jesus alone where we can find freedom that we so desperately long for. His grace saves us from our sins. His grace transforms us, and His grace empowers us to live for Him. The only way to truly be set free is to be set free by the grace of Jesus. And that's what our passage is about. That's what these two verses are about. Look, in verse 11, notice first the saving grace of Jesus. So Paul tells us that the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. You see, when God saw us helpless in our sin, it was his grace that he sent to save us. God didn't send stats to save us. He didn't send a bunch of rules to save us. He didn't send a lecture on the damaging effects of sin. He didn't even send the law to save us. When God set out to save us, what he sent was his grace. Notice it says the grace of God has appeared. That grace appeared as a person, Jesus Christ, and Jesus came to bring salvation. Our fundamental problem as sinners 
is not just that we need more information or that we need more rules to follow. Our fundamental problem is that we are dead in our sins. We are slaves to our sin, and we need rescue. We need salvation. You see, you will never be set free from sin in your life if you think that you can do it. You'll never be set free from porn if you think that it's in your ability to defeat it. Jesus came to rescue sinners who could never rescue themselves. He came to rescue sinners who could never just willpower themselves out of sin. He came to rescue sinners who could never set themselves free. The grace of God has appeared in Christ, and he brings salvation to all who believe in him. And so, brothers, our only hope to be set free from sin is the saving grace of Jesus. So stop hoping in your internet filter to set you free from this sin. Stop hoping that an accountability partner or group is going to fix this problem. Stop hoping that one day you're just going to grow out of it. Start hoping fully in the saving grace of Jesus. And if you feel hopeless right now with this struggle, that's right where Jesus wants you to be. But he doesn't want you to stay there, of course. He wants you to come to him and to put your hope in him and to find the freedom that you desire and he desires. So brothers, Jesus, he loves us more than we'll ever know. And there's no sin that's too great that his grace can't handle. He came to save sinners, even the worst of sinners. And so look to the saving grace of Jesus and let his grace set you free. Notice second in verse 12, the transforming grace of Jesus. You know, it seems somewhat counterintuitive that grace would be the thing that actually sets us free, doesn't it? I mean, if we sin against God and he responds to us with grace, wouldn't that just want to make us want to sin even more? Hey, God is gracious. Why not scroll a little bit longer? God certainly is going to forgive me. Why not watch this video tonight? It would seem that if God wanted to put an end to this in our lives, he would use something other than grace. Doesn't it seem like that? Doesn't it seem like he would bring the hammer down on us with the law? Doesn't it seem like he should weigh us down with condemnation just so that we're just so burdened that we'll stop? Maybe he should threaten us to bring fire and brimstone down upon us. Maybe that's what would fix this in us. So yes, God is holy. And yes, there is certainly a fiery judgment coming for those who refuse to repent and turn to him. But don't miss what Paul is saying here. God chose to transform us by grace. Right? Look at verse 12. The grace of God has appeared doing what? Verse 12. Training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions. You see what Paul is saying there? It's the grace of God in Jesus that brings transformation in our lives. His grace teaches us to turn away from ungodliness and worldly passions. You see, the law of God is good, but it can't change us. Any rules that we might try to follow in our lives will never change us. But the grace of Jesus that's what can bring true transformation in our lives. Because, again, the, our fundamental problem is not that we just need better rules to follow. Man, all those rules weren't working. Let's let me find some better rules to follow. Our problem is that we need a new life. We need new desires. We need new passions, new affections, new thoughts, 
We need a new love for God and a new love for others. And the good news is that's exactly what Jesus has given to us because of his grace. So look to the transforming grace of Jesus to say no when temptation comes. Look to the transforming grace of Jesus to declare that this sin no longer has enslaving, is enslaving us. Look to the transforming grace of Jesus to declare that those worldly passions will no longer control you. Look to the saving grace of Jesus to forgive you, yes. But look also to the transforming grace of Jesus to cleanse you and to make you new. Notice again in verse 12, thirdly, the the empowering grace of Jesus. So the grace of Jesus saves us, it transforms us, but then it also empowers us. Look at the second part of verse 12. So that grace of God that appeared in Jesus does what? It uh, it trains us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. You know, I think there's a part of us that just might believe that there's just no escaping this sin. We live in a world of sexual sin, as Lance said earlier, right? And this present age is full of it. There's just no way that we're ever really going to be free from this. Maybe we believe that we're forgiven. You know, God loves us. He forgives us. Maybe we even somewhat believe that he can transform us and make us somewhat new. But how many of us struggle to believe that he's really going to actually do it in our lives? How many times have you thought, I'll never be free of this? And maybe you're here tonight and you are free from actual pornography. I praise God that I can honestly say that I've been set free for that for over 16 years. And praise the Lord for that. But I can also honestly say that the sin of lust is one that I struggle with almost daily. And it feels that, like at times, I'm never going to be free of that sin. But what Paul is saying is that the grace of Jesus can empower us not only to be new, but to live free lives. Jesus has set us free so that we can actually live free. And it's his empowering grace that can help us do it. Just look in this verse at what his grace can help us do. The the empowering grace of Jesus can help us to live self-controlled lives. We don't have to give in to every temptation. We don't have to be slaves to our impulses. We can have spirit-filled self-control. The empowering grace of Jesus can help us next to live upright lives. That means we don't have to hide in the dark anymore. We don't have to live a double life anymore. We can live honorable and honest lives before the Lord and before others. And the empowering grace also helps us to live godly lives. We can actually live a life that reflects the holiness and the righteousness of God. We can actually live a life that honors and pleases our Father in heaven. We can actually have true reverence and fear before the Lord, our God. But it's by the grace of Jesus, that empowering grace. You see, when we press into the empowering grace of Jesus, we can live the life that we want to live and the life that God wants us to live to. So let the grace of Jesus give you the power that you need to overcome sin in your life. Jesus died and wrote it again so that we could be set free, and he wants us to live free. So look to his empowering grace to help you live the victory he has already won. 
Brothers, think about this. God could have left us in the mess of our sin, couldn't he? He could have kept us under the weight of our own condemnation. He could have rightly punished us for all eternity for our rebellion against him. But his grace appeared. Jesus came to shower us with nothing but the never-fading, never-stopping grace of God. His grace saves us. His grace transforms us. His grace empowers us. So let's be the kind of men who, who gaze upon that grace together. And let's live in the freedom that His grace gives. Okay, so that's a word of encouragement to us. Now let's, what I want us to do, it's in your packet on the next page. Let's look at some eight practical steps that we can take to live in the freedom of this grace. And now don't think that like I got done with my grace talk and now it's like time to get down to business and this is the stuff that's really going to help you. That's not what I mean. The, the grace of Jesus saves us and empowers us and transforms us through some of these practical steps that we can take together. So these are an extension of his grace at work in our lives and in our brotherhood together. So let's look at some practical ways. Number one, confess your sins. This great passage in Psalm 32, I won't read it, all of it, but look there in the middle. It says, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. David is thinking about his sins, and he said, I didn't want to confess it to the Lord or to anybody, and it was like cancer rotting inside my bones. And then at the bottom, I'll confess my transgressions to the Lord, and you forgave the iniquity of my sin. It's when he confessed his sins that the Lord forgave him. Proverbs 28, 13, whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Beautiful verse in John 1, look at, in the middle there. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do you, do you see what that verse is saying to you? That if you went to Jesus to confess that I looked at porn tonight and he says, I don't forgive you, he would be unfaithful and unjust to not forgive you. You say, why? Well, because God already paid for that sin on the cross. He already punished that sin in the flesh as Jesus died on the cross. And so you take that sin to him and you confess in hope and in faith and God in Christ will be faithful and just to forgive you. James 5, 16, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. You know, confession might seem like the worst thing that we could do. I mean, I just don't want to tell anybody this. But it, honestly, it's the best thing that you could do. Confessing your sins to the Lord, how will he forgive you if you don't confess those sins, right? How will we, we be healed and, and bring the sin into the light and start to live a transformed and empowered life if we're not willing to confess to the Lord and to confess to others? Some of us, maybe tonight, and this is why we're going to have a small group time, maybe you need to confess to your brothers here tonight. This is a safe place. There's no judgment. Christ died to take our judgment away. But we need to confess our sins so that we can be healed. Some of you may need to confess to your bride at some point. Pick a good time to do it, you know, but uh, maybe you need to confess that you've been sinning against your wife in this way. Confess our sins. Next, number two, we got a lot to get through. Pursue godly sorrow. Paul in 2 Corinthians 7 talks about the difference between worldly sorrow and godly sorrow. 
For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So this is worldly sorrow. I'm sorry that I got caught. Or I'm sorry I made things miserable in my marriage. That's a worldly sorrow, right? Here's a godly sorrow. I'm sorry that I sinned against the Lord. I'm sorry that I've dishonored and failed to be faithful and love my bride. So pursue that. Look what James 4 says there in the middle. He says, be wretched and mourn and weep, right? I don't know that anybody has that as like their life verse, right? Be wretched and mourn and weep. And what James is saying is in your pride and in your sin, if you don't have any kind of godly sorrow over that, you can't have any confidence that the Lord is going to forgive you and that you're going to be healed and and brought uh, brought to freedom through these things. So pursue a godly sorrow over your sin. Number three, take extreme measures. Familiar passage from Matthew 5, right there in the middle. If your right eye causes you to sin, this is in the context of lust, tear it out and throw it away. Now, of course, we like to say, well, Jesus is using hyperbole here. He's exaggerating to make his point. Yes, he does not literally want us to rip out and gouge out our eyeballs But his point, which we often miss, is you need to take extreme measures to defeat this sin in your life. How many of us are struggling with porn because we've not really taken any extreme measures to get rid of it in our lives? Look at Colossians 3, 5 and 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So get rid of the TV in your bedroom, the computer in your bedroom. Get rid of HBO or short Showtime. Delete social media from your phone. Get a phone that doesn't even have internet on it. I'm not saying that all of us have to do that, but if this is a particular struggle, if those are stumbling blocks with you, then why would you not get rid of these things in your life? Take extreme measures to put this sin to death. Number four, fight the sin beneath the sin. So Proverbs 4.23 says, Guard your heart above all else, for it is the source of life. So there are heart issues beneath the sin of pornography, right? There's something deeper happening, and we've got to get to the root issue. Matthew, and Jesus in Matthew 15 says, For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality. So th- something is happening inside of our hearts that is a root issue that we've got to root out. Probably for most of us, it's just lust and sexual passions. Some people, it could be anger. I've heard stories of young men who are angry at God that they're not married and have not yet found a bride, and so they lash out by using pornography. Could be bitterness or resentment. A brother who feels that he is not, his sexual needs are not being met, are being met by his bride, and so in resentment, he uses pornography as a way to get back or to get even. Right? There's all of these sins that could be happening underneath. And so in order to defeat the sin, we need to fight the sins that are underneath as well. Number five, cultivate a heart for your wife. I'll let you guys go read Proverbs 5, 15 to 19. But look at the last line there. Be intoxicated always with her love. So work to grow your love for your bride. So develop ways. Invest in your marriage. Cultivate a heart of of love and affection and intoxication with your, the love that you have for your bride. Never blame your wife for your sexual sin. 
if you were more willing to give yourself to me, then I wouldn't struggle with this. Don't do that. Your wife does not exist to meet your sexual needs or sexual fantasies. She's there as someone to love and to cherish. Be intoxicated with her loves. If you're single here, I know a lot of you guys are, marriage is not going to fix this sin. If you think, well, I'm just going to wait till I get married and that's what's going to fix it. That'll be the, the nail in the coffin to kill this. It's not going to do it. Don't wait until marriage to put this sin to death. So cultivate a heart for your wife and even work hard to put this to death so that you can love your bride if the Lord leads you to get married. Uh, number six, love your neighbor. Matthew 22, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. First Thessalonians 4, uh, it's God's will that you would abstain from sexual immorality. And look down in the middle of that. And he says, I want you to do this so that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. So porn is fundamentally a failure to love your neighbor. You're not loving that woman that's on the screen there. You're not loving, she's somebody's daughter, somebody's sister, maybe somebody's wife, right? You're not loving those people when you're watching that, right? How many of us would like sneak to, the, to our neighbor's house and watch, watch them being intimate through the window? None of us would do that, right? But we don't mind watching the neighbors on our phone do that right? We're failing to love our neighbors. So love your wife. Love the women that are in these videos or the men. Love the sisters in the church. You know, this issue can ruin how you view other sisters in Christ, right? And so as we seek to pursue freedom in this, loving our neighbor will help us find freedom. Number seven, be thankful. Ephesians 5, 3, and 4. Uh, Sexual morality and all impurity and covetousness must not be named among you. And then look what he says at the bottom. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Do you know thanksgiving is one of the greatest weapons you have at fighting the sin in your life? Because here's what it does. It puts sex in its proper place, a gift from God. It's a good gift for marriage, but it's not an ultimate gift, right? We are not beings that just exist just to have sex. We live ultimately for God. And so thanksgiving is a way that we, can help us when we have a marriage that maybe we are wanting, like this is just not really fulfilling me sexually. But we can still be thankful for our bride. We can be thankful for so many things, right? Thanksgiving can even help our single brothers who are waiting for marriage, right? Thanksgiving can help you realize that this, it puts it in its proper place, that it is a gift from God. It's not an ultimate idol that we are to give our whole lives to. It's a gift. And so when we're thankful for that gift, that helps us defeat that sin. And lastly, as I close, seek Jesus. So this is like anytime I'm meeting with somebody, this is like my go-to passage on what to do to help you with this issue. We don't really have time to read through all of it. But Christ, in, in this first section here, Paul is saying Christ has freed us from living by all of these kind of man-made rules and traditions and religions. He says these indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. What he means by that is your sin is going to find a way. Like, you can, you can do all of these things. Like, I've, I've given you some practical tips. I mean, you can get rid of your phone. You can get rid of your computer. You can never watch TV for the rest of your life. Your sin will find a way, right? And that's what he's saying. You can put, heap all of this like rules and religions on top of you. They are no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. 
That's like the end of chapter 2. This is, this is a terrible break in, in, in chapters in the Bible. So what is Paul? What will help us stop the indulgence of the flesh? Chapter 3, verse 1. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Seek Jesus. Not after rules and regulations and I'm going to hate myself or I'm going to punish myself. None of that is going to fix the problem. What fixed the problem ultimately, like Lance said earlier, is to find something better than this sin, to find a better beauty, to find Jesus, right? And that's really what this is all about. We will only be set free from the sin of lust or the sin of pornography when we see that there's something better than that. There's someone more beautiful and more glorious and more joy giving to us. When we come to treasure Jesus as the all-satisfying gift of God, that's when we can overcome these sins. And brothers, it's by the grace of Jesus that we can treasure him. And so tonight, that's what I want us to do. I want us to look to Jesus. Look to the grace that saves us, the, the grace that transforms us. Look to the grace that empowers us. Look to the grace of him living a perfect life in our place. Look upon the grace as he hung on the cross for this sin and every sin we would ever commit. Look for the grace as he rose for our victory on the third day. Look for Jesus at work in our lives. Look for his mercies that are new every morning. Look for his forgiveness that will cast our sins as far as the east is from the west. And look for his love that will never stop loving us. Look for the grace in the brothers in this room together. Look for the grace in the wife that God has given to you. Look for the grace in this church body that he has given to you. And look for his second coming. Look for the day where the grace of God will appear a second time. And look for the day when we will see him face to face. Look for the day when we will know him as we are known. Look for the day where he will present us before himself blameless. Can you imagine that? We're going to be blameless someday. Look for the day when we will gaze upon the beauty and the grace of Jesus forever. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word tonight. We pray that something that I said tonight would be helpful. God, we know that we sin in many ways. As we even sang earlier, our sins are so many, but your mercy is more. We're thankful that the grace of Jesus came to save us, to transform us, to empower us to live godly lives. So God, would you help us to be set free from pornography, from lust, from anger, from bitterness, from any sin, Lord. Thank you for Christ. Pray that he would help us in Jesus' name. Amen.